Jacinda Ardern, two absolutely prime, prime, strong, intelligent, successful leaders of nations. And the media, they, they talk about what their hair looks like, what their heels look like, what their outfit looks like. Who has ever, ever said anything about Trump or Boris Johnson's suit? <laughs> it's like, they are your equals. They are actually leading the nations right now in this pandemic in a way more professional, scientifically led and successful way. But you're still talking about their damn shoes. Hi, welcome to the Melrose Show. Melrose here. If you've listened to this intro before, you can click the forward button now eight times to get to the start of this episode. So, before this version of myself, I was Anne, artist, fashion designer, professional model, TV personality, small business owner, real estate agent, placement agent, and an institutional financial advisor, all before stepping into my current role, which I love, in investor relations and podcasting professional. Woo! It was a wild ride to get here. And after all those jobs, living in six countries, 16 different cities, and trying on many versions of myself, I have found that the best place to live is comfortably in my purpose and in a space and a community that allows me and wants to see me grow. And I want the same for you. Through my highly versatile career path and working with others on their dreams along the way, I decided to start this podcast to try to help people understand that life is not a race, it's a marathon, career is not a ladder, it's a jungle gym, and that I really believe truly the best way in life is following curiosity. My curiosity has me focused on career, plants, shadow light and integration work, art, permaculture, and community building. These are my purposes in life. And for me, they all go together. They're topics that we will explore together throughout time on this podcast. And I come here to connect you to unique ideas from incredible people. The aim is to help us all grow more into our purpose-driven lives. This podcast supports a community of amazing humans that meet on full moons to howl and heal. We are a global community. Many are interviewed on this podcast. And I invite you to join us offline after the show. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this exploration journey with people from around the world who have self-actualized in their lives in some way. Hopefully, they will inspire you in your own authentic journey. Enjoy! Today, we are joined by Claudia Batchelor. She's one of my dearest friends, a self-published thriller novelist, a creative director, a former music industry executive, a kite surfer, a beautiful soul, and a loyal friend. And I love this girl. I'm so excited to have this chat today. Claudia and I had not spoken in a very long time before we chatted, so we were actually hopping into the interview at a point where I felt like I could keep the podcast true to form and keep it under an hour. We'll let you in on a little behind-the-scenes chat before we really get going. So here we're discussing femininity in the workplace to get started. Here we go. I find that a lot of women who are aspirational, part of the process is like losing their femininity. And 
for me, it's like, I don't want to become very successful and treat that success as though I were a man, you know, or I don't want to build a company the way somebody who has more masculine, you know, perspectives maybe would. I think I noticed with a lot of my female friends in New York and big cities that the, it's very easy to start like slipping and losing your femininity when you have to like participate in this man's world. So the sooner we get more female leaders and females who are willing to lead in a feminine way, you know, soft power or maybe a hard power, but still has consideration for the well-being of the planet and the people. I, I do think that that's when we are allowed to really exist as money makers, as our natural selves. And I'm not saying every woman has to be feminine. I'm just saying sometimes there, it just isn't space to be feminine, you know, especially in industries like, you know, the one I'm in finance or, um, you know, these certain fields that just engineering, you know, being super feminine and hyper intelligent and, and ambitious is a combination that just isn't really allowed. And when you do it, when you feel, when you, you know, I know, I've heard it so many times that women are like, I'm going into the office, I'm making myself look ugly. You know, like I have to like, I put on the most ba basic amount of makeup, people start treating me differently. If I am actually attractive, nice, someone's gonna walk over me or hit on me, you know? So you get these like weird power struggles with the fact that I'm just trying to be female and successful, you know? So it's, you know what, it's, um, it's about, it's all about role modeling. And um, totally. I was, as, as she was saying this, I was just thinking, I cannot believe that we're still here, you know, over 20 years later from when I really started out to make my way in business that um, we're still having the same conversation, but actually we are because things are not, we are not allowed to progress. We're not allowed to progress as women if we are attractive because um, it's not part of the program media manipulates everything for example um nicola sturgeon she's um she leads the, the scottish nation uh jacinda adam two absolutely prime prime strong intelligent successful leaders of nations and the media they they talk about what their hair looks like what their heels look like what their outfit looks like who has ever, ever said anything about Trump or Boris Johnson's suit? <laughs> it's like, they are your equals. They are actually leading the nations right now in this pandemic in a way more professional, scientifically led and successful way. But you're still talking about their damn shoes or you're talking about, you know, Jacinda uh, Ardern, the woman has elevated us to being able to be mothers and successfully lead a country, to be attractive and successfully lead a country, to be feminine and successfully lead a country. And it, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm getting my heckles raised right now because this totally <laughs> brings me back to when I was 23, something like that, 23. So. That was 24 years ago. I'm 47 years old. And so 24 years ago, I um, started working in the music industry. Actually, it's a bit longer than that, but it, my, my first real kind of job in the music industry. 
and I was super keen, super excited. I just was bubbling over with enthusiasm because I wanted to learn everything. I wanted to be the best. I wanted to take every opportunity in my hands. And um, I remember one meeting and, and literally there was probably less than 10%, maybe 5% of people where I worked were females because it still actually is quite a male dominated industry. But back then it was very, very much um, male um, led. And um, one of my bosses who actually, he's going to sound like a jerk now. And he was a bit of a jerk, but he was also very fair. And he just didn't didn't mince his words he his delivery sometimes really sucked and I just remember I can't exactly remember what had happened but I remember going into his office and just bemoaning the fact that you know but I, I I'm not I'm not being taken seriously so he said when you walk into a room all the people see is big hair big smile and big tits and that's all you know you're, you're going to have to work twice as hard to get half the way through just because of that. And I just said to him, but I'm not, it's not like I'm wearing revealing clothes or anything. He said, you don't have to. That's blokes look at you and that's what they see. And you know what I did? I completely cut all my hair off out <laughs> in a fit of peak. My hair was like halfway down to my back, big curly hair. And I cut it off really, really, really short. And then uh, everybody used to just make fun out of me and sing um, The Bare Necessities of Life because I look like Mowgli from The Jungle Book. But I was <laughs> like, do you know what? I really don't care. I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to defeminize myself almost because I want to be one of the boys. I want to be, you know, taken seriously. And, and actually what that did was that it, 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 it actually decimated what makes us females we are more intuitive we are more uh, thoughtful um we are more empathetic we are more tactile all of all of the things that makes us the amazing people and creatures that we are and that can actually help diffuse situations and develop societies and nurture teams and all of those things it, it actually it turned that off slightly for me and if I had maturity and hindsight and all of those things, I would have probably just gone, yeah, so what? Do you know what? I'm still going to be me. I'm still going to be mother nature. I'm still going to nurture. I'm still going to spend time talking through things and being empathetic and encouraging because that's, you know, at the core of all of those things. And I'm not saying that men don't do that, but by genetics um, and by nurture or nature, we are all of those things as a whole, a lot more than men are. We don't need to go in there and kick the door down. We can, you know, not politely come in and make our presence felt as opposed to make our presence heard. So it's, um, it, that was um, a, a strange and brilliant and messed up situation to have been in at the time i'm very very grateful for all of those experiences of course but it pisses me off that we're still having these conversations now and it completely yeah. winds me up um when um I'm, I'm looking at the media and especially now in such a hugely important time for the whole world it's not just for a nation the whole world is feeling this 
and at a time that our media should be more responsible and not salacious over what Nicholas Sturgeon's choice of shoes are for today. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's, it's totally mind-blowing and, and it is all about leadership and role modeling and when you've got those brilliant role models that don't compromise and don't care and don't want to de-feminize themselves then that's when other women are going to kind of sit up and take notice and we have to do that for our we have to do that for our daughters and the daughters of our friends and families and, and the daughters of the world a hundred percent a hundred percent and you know if you had had a female boss at that company you know, maybe you would have had a role model that you didn't feel like you had to cut all your hair off to get some respect from, you know, if you had been, maybe you wouldn't have taken that extreme, but unfortunately there aren't a ton of women in specific industries that maybe we feel a calling to, which is why we got to go out there and we have to run, you know, run those businesses and be, a, be you know, start people are like, well, why do you want to have a company with just women? It's like, well, because then there's a, there's a, I, then I can go there and thrive and just be who I am instead of having to go somewhere and change who I am to survive. And you know, someone asked me who one of my idols was and I said, Maya Angelou. And they're like, well, why? And I was like, she is somebody who just, you know, she's got this deep raspy voice and she's been highly successful and influential, but she, she cultivates her feminine energy like no one else. You know, she's been totally creative totally tapped in, very authentic to who she is. She's a great leader and a role model for somebody who's been through some major shit and came out the other side still intact with her feminine energy and nurturing other people through the process, you know? So, I don't know. I think I, you're somebody that I actually think has an incredibly feminine vibe to them and yet has a ton of interesting work history and experience and accomplishments. So can you just walk us through your like career path and then how also after you do that, um, how you, you know, came upon, you know, going back from cutting all your hair off to being so feminine, you know, and or <laughs> so, so like rooted in who you are. Cause I feel like you're very genuinely who you, like, I feel like you could kick some ass. I wouldn't mess with you, you know, but you're also very, <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, God, well, I am um, just asking that question. I'm just like, how the hell did I end up here? So at the moment, obviously, I'm living in between Sherwood, near Sherwood Forest in, uh, in England, home of Robin Hood, and then by the ocean in Cabaret in, in the Dominican Republic. So very, very, very much into nature. I, um, I, 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 I did my long stint in a major big city. So I lived for some time in, in New York, most of my life in London. Um, but I was born in Colombia in, a, in, in Bogota, which was uh, uh, where I lived. I came from a, a very challenging childhood. Um, we lived in a really, really poor barrio. Um, and I guess that having a super strong mum, who is very inspirational and uh, between her and fate, I guess fate decided that I shouldn't be living somewhere like that and I should maybe go somewhere else and, and um, see what the other side of the world had to offer. So we ended up in, in England, in London. Um, 
which was a very, very strange, I was 10 years old and I, I went to London. So going from a really um, impoverished, I mean, impoverished barrier um, to then going to England where everything was very neat and tidy and clean. And I had my own bedroom for the first time. Um, that wow. was so alien to me. I mean, I, I also had, I had just met my mum then. So she basically came to England. Uh, sorry, she came to Colombia when I was 10 and then she, um, she took me back to England. So not only did I have to get used to this strange new world, I mean, I may as well have been put on the moon, quite frankly. But then I also had to um, form a kind of bond with my mum. So that was very difficult as well because we didn't, her husband, my stepfather, I didn't speak a word of English. He didn't speak a word of Spanish. And I was literally plopped in between them to try and make this uh, dysfunctional family function. Um, Wow. I think it's... um, I mean, the, story, the, the, the lesson for me, I guess, is that if you take anyone out of their comfort zone, they're either going to do one of two things, I think, primarily. They're going to either crash and burn or survive and thrive. And I chose the latter because I never wanted to go to bed hungry again. And I think when you've been in that situation that you really have gone to bed hungry and um, your life is as, as awful as your life may be, it's still your life. And I still actually wished, I think in the first few years that I was in England, it didn't matter that I had my first doll. I mean, I was 10 years old. I didn't care about a doll by then. It was too late for me. I had my first bike. I had my first bedroom. Um, I didn't care about any of those things. I wanted to go back to the, you know, spit and sawdust because that's my spit and sawdust. That's what I knew. And I, it's very difficult to then all of a sudden change your whole life literally upside down and um, expect you not to have some um, confusion to say the least. Um, But I think that um, the amazing thing about having any kind of challenges, I think it's definitely worked in my favor because I've always remained super hungry and I've always taken every opportunity my way. Um, Hmm. It was, uh, you know, in, in, in England, going to school in England meant that I could, you know, be in sports teams that I've never been, you know, I've never played rounders, I've never played netball, I've never played, you know, been an athletics team or anything like that. So I used to say yes to everything. Do you want to go and try out for this? Yes. Do you want to go and learn this instrument? Yes. Do you, everything was yes, yes, yes for me. And, and that's never left me. Um, I would always say yes to anything. And I just think the more you experience, the more you can, you know, you can figure things out. You're either going to like it or you're not going to like it, but it's not a wasted experience. You know, you're always going to learn something from it. Um, And so because in my mind, um, being in England meant that I had loads of free, new free activities to do. I just kind of dove right in. You You know, Gloria from Modern Family. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so that was basically me. That's exactly how I spoke. It was horrible. And I was oh. the only brown girl in my school. And I had these top and bottom braces. I looked, uh, I looked like just, I was called Jaws amongst many things. Um, it was miserable. <laughs> I had no friends and I didn't speak English properly. And I was just, just this anomaly. Um, 
<laughs> so I, I begged my mum to send me to elocution lessons um, because I didn't want to have an accent. I, I, you know, I think when you're, when you're a kid anyway, you just want to, you don't want to be different to anybody. So I just wanted to at least be able to speak the same language that everybody else was speaking. And hence why I have this accent now. Um, you have such a lovely accent. <laughs> yeah, this was bought and paid for. It's not a real one. So <laughs> you, it's, it's, you sound like, like my, my how my dad's accent was. So I'm not sure if you learned in the same area, but um, it's, you have a lovely accent and I can't believe it because most people who learn a language from like 10 at 10, you know, that takes a lot of work to really learn, you know, the proper yeah, pronunciation. Yeah, that's it. I mean, honestly, this is the thing. It's um, everything that you aspire to in life is always going to take a lot of work unless you're completely talented and brilliant and uh, academic and artistically gifted which I am none of those things so everything that I've had to do I've had to work for and I, I don't mind that you know going back to what you said earlier on women don't mind the work it's not that we're just going to sit there and expect everything to come to us it's like we work for this everything that we we we, we do by and large we do work for it so um because I wasn't privileged or gifted or anything like that it's just like okay I'm just going to roll my sleeves up and get on with it um and actually you know by the time I was 16 I left home because I it, if you can um, by the way I adore my mum she's completely my best friend and she's my absolute hero um but if you can imagine um if you can imagine somebody showing up on your doorstep when they're 10 years old and saying hey here I am and I'm your daughter and you and you need to figure how that relationship is going to, you know, she needed to figure out how to be a mum. I needed to figure out how to have a family and, uh, and also doing it in a completely alien world. Um, you know, my mum was working three jobs. My stepfather was working three jobs. They did everything that they could to try and give everything that to me, um, you know, they spent uh, thousands and thousands of pounds trying to get me over from Colombia in the first place because um, maybe the law has changed now. But even though my mum was married to my stepdad, because he wasn't my real dad, and, uh, but my mum was my real mum, they had to pay lawyers to, for, for, for him to, to adopt me so that I could enter the country. Mm. So you know, they didn't have a lot of money. So what, whatever money they had, you know, as I said, they were working multiple jobs, both of them, just to try and bring me over. And then I arrived and I didn't really like either one of them um, because I didn't know them. You know, like I just, I was put into this weird situation where I didn't speak my stepdad's language. Um, oh, I um, I don't remember feeling scared. I don't know. That was, I, I never felt scared. I just felt, You were strong because your childhood like made you strong. So yeah, fear might not have been your thing, but. You're just like, no, worried. it was, um, yeah, it was just, um, I just wanted to work and, and make money and go back to Colombia. That's really, it was like, <laughs> I got a job when I was 12 in a retail shop. And then my mom came and found me and she bought a policeman and he dragged me out <laughs> because I was underage. And I told the guys that I, I was 16. So that kind of lasted about all of an hour before the police came and got me. And that was just like another, another nail in the coffin for my relationship with my mom. I just hated her. I just, you know, I, I really did hate her at the time because I just thought you, 
why am I even here? I don't know anybody. I have no friends. I don't speak English. I hate everything. So um, it, it, it made me quite rebellious, I think. And then I got a job in a, in a cafe, Mario's Cafe in Harrow. Um, and I was there every weekend and every summer holiday. And I always smelt of chip fat. <laughs> I, was, I was like saving money like crazy. And, um, and, uh, and then... And then actually, by the time I was 16, I, uh, I left home because I just didn't want to be, I, I don't know, I just didn't want to be in, I just wanted to be away from everybody, I guess I just wanted, and I, I moved in with a boyfriend actually. So wow. and then I was um, still going to college and then I was working in a bar at night time. And um, then um, he slept with my best friend, um, which was okay. awesome. Um, so then, um, then I was just like, okay, I went, I went, stayed in a room and just tried to finish college. And then by the time I was 18, I was just like, do you know what? I just want to go traveling. I didn't really, I, I, I really didn't have any roots. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Uh, I moved to Spain. I was running a bar there. Um, and then I kind of traveled around for a couple of years. <clears throat> um, and, um, but I always worked. I kind of knew that I was gonna go back to university at some point and I wanted to be a writer or I wanted to be a journalist um, because I always, I used to eat books, you know, having no friends and trying to learn a language. The best thing that I did was watch the Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> I loved English watching the Muppets and Sesame Street. <laughs> um, oh, but also I would read and read and read like a lunatic. And, um, and so I guess I, I, I thought I could write or I wanted to do something with writing or journalism. And then by the time I was 20, I decided that I wanted to um, uh, meet my dad, my real dad. And so I went back to Colombia um, and it was a really, uh, strange experience because I, half of my life had been away from my country mm. and I didn't, England wasn't my country, but then when I went back to Colombia, I realized that that wasn't my country as well. So that was another kind of a bit of a head fuck. Oh, um, sorry for the language, but it was, no, that's um, fine. Because, yeah. because I was like, I don't, I, I just don't know who I am. I don't know. I don't belong anywhere. Um, I love Colombia massively. I fell in love with the country all over again. Um, but I just didn't fit in because I wasn't, I wasn't the typical Colombian girl who would be living at home with mum, uh, with parents or family, um, and just being subdued and, uh, you know it's a lot less now but at the time it was still very very much uh, a country that's very macho the patriarchy is you know ever present um and that yeah. i knew that that wasn't the lifestyle that i was prepared to go back to so the great God, that thing that I got from so that, crazy for you yeah, I mean, the, the, the great, because you know what, all of these experiences always, always give you something really positive. And the really positive totally. thing that I got from that was that I got to meet my father, um, who was, 
my mum to this day has never said a bad word about him, which I think is such a beautifully dignified, amazing example of strength and kindness. Um, because there is no way that I would, I don't think that I would have, uh, if, if that had been me, I would have just told my daughter to just get the hell away from him because she, she let me find out for myself who he is, uh, the type of person that he is. And he definitely is not somebody that I would ever have wanted to have in my life. Um, and so I found out that he was a published author <laughs> and professor wow. of linguistics. Yeah, professor of linguistics. And so all of my dreams were shattered in a second because as soon as I met him, I was just like, oh my God, I don't want to be at all like you. You are the devil. Um, oh. So I, I stopped writing. I stopped my ideas that I was going to be a writer or a journalist. Um, I went back to England. I actually um, ended up living in Scotland and I was going to be a doctor. So I went to uh, Stevenson College in, in Edinburgh. Um, gorgeous, gorgeous city. Uh, I did five A-levels, which you, um, sorry, five um, AS levels, which I needed to um, get into medical school. I was offered a place at St. Andrews, which is a really prestigious medical um, school in, in the UK, in, in, in Scotland. And um, then um, because I had been living in Scotland for three years, I couldn't qualify for a grant. So at that point, my mum my mum, you know, my mum and I were obviously on, on speaking terms, but we were just not very close. And she just said to me, look, why don't you come back to England, to, to London, come back moving with me. And um, then we can, you know, you can, if you, you can save up money and then, or I can sell the house and I can put you to medical school. And I just said, absolutely not, that I'm not doing that. I said, but I will come back and I'm, I'm going to work and I'm going to save up. So I deferred my place for a year ended up working three jobs. I was working in a retail shop uh, during the day, bar at night. And then at the weekends, I was working at the Ministry of Sound, which is like a really like super hot club and everybody yeah. wanted to get So I was, I was a door whore and um, had a nice, really, really great time. Made some amazing friends that I still have to this day. A hugely accomplished set of creative, amazing human beings. Um, and then, um, after a few months, I was offered a job in reception, pretty much full time, which I took. And then I ended up working on events and uh, tours and events as a coordinator. And um, really, <clears throat> I deferred my place to medical school for a second year. And then by the third year, I just knew that I was not going to go back to, to studying. And I just really followed my, my music career through um so the good thing that came out from Colombia was that I then did a whole pivot um mm. from my my career choices the good thing about not not being able to go directly to medical school was that it opened up another avenue um for me which was music through the Ministry of Sound which was a really brilliant brilliant place to learn everything um <clears throat> and then the great thing about moving back in with my mum for a year was that all that time that I was saving um thinking I was going to go back to medical school I and I didn't I my mum gave me the best advice that she has uh, one of the best bits of advice but she's full of them anyway but she just said look you know if you're not going to go back to medical school why don't you need to buy somewhere you know and I was what 21 then 
age 21, why on earth would I want to, you know, tie myself up to a mortgage or a loan or whatever, you know, I'm young, be single. I want to go and party. I don't need any of that nonsense. And she said, look, I promise you, this is going to give you freedom. You don't have to live there. If you don't want, you know, just buy somewhere, rent it out. Let somebody else take care of your mortgage payments and then go and live with your friends, you know, go and live wherever you want. So that's basically what I did. And, um, I think that the, the financial security um, is so important in giving you the freedom to be able to follow your heart or just to be, a, you know, it, it just gives you additional support to make decisions. If you've ever made, if you've ever had to make decisions based on money, they're not necessarily the right decisions that you're going to make. So if you can actually take that away from you, take that burden away from you and actually have a little bit of financial security, then I think that that definitely um, broadens your scope to do whatever you want to do. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, so basically that's, that's what I did. And I, I, was I worked my ass off. I mean, 18 hour days doing something that you love um, is really not a job. And I mm. ended up um, heading the international side of um, Ministry of Sound. So I produced over 200 events in 30, 40 countries. And I was still 25, wow. 26 at the time. So it was such an incredible blessing and such an amazing, amazing time to be a part of something that was really um, innovative and pioneering um, and having to maintain a sense of femininity, um, mm -hmm. not, not lose myself into being, uh, you know, being a clone of, of my male counterparts. And actually there were not really that many men that would that, that that were doing what I was doing so I had this really awesome boss called Maria who really was just is a saint she um we had this atlas in um in in the office and I'd be flicking through the atlas and and just go oh, I've never been to Egypt right I'm gonna I'm gonna go and produce an event in Egypt and so I kind of quickly I can't remember exactly how this came about but I think it was to do with um, the fact that the Ministry of Sound sounds very official. Uh, James, the owner, is, uh, I think his father was a lord. I believe he's now a lord as well, Lord Colombo. So they're very connected to a, a completely different world in which I was certainly living in. Um, but that meant that um, we were exposed to, again, the, the wider your experiences, the, the wider your circle of friends or colleagues or whatever the more ideas i think that you're getting in your head so i decided that if i um called the egyptian embassy in london looking through the old school yellow pages there was no google then obviously um <laughs> then I, I could i could phone up the egyptian embassy and say hello uh, this is claudia i'm the head of international events from ministry of sounds and we would love to do a cultural exchange trip um, would it be possible to speak to somebody about this? So inevitably they'll be like, wow, this sounds really official. Uh, and I'd get invited around for tea to the embassy. And, and that's kind of how lots of doors were opened. Um, and then as soon as one door was open, then other doors were open. And I think that having two languages obviously helped me because 
you know, I was able to then produce events in Argentina and Venezuela and Colombia and places like that. Um, so, um, again, it's all to do with opportunities and just saying yes to everything. And, and any time that you face a challenge, it's like, I'm going to work this out. I'm going to work this out. And it's, um, that's that, that I can't say, I can't, ever put a wall in front of myself and anything that's ever happened in my life it's like I'm going to get through this and I'm going to figure out a way to get through this and even if I'm going to be on my knees and crying for a bit I'm going to get through this um totally. to, yeah that, that, that whole survival thing and I think right now we all need the whole survival thing well I I I only I I always say one thing I say I there's only one thing that I'm 100% sure of in life and it's the only thing I'll say that I'm that I'm confident in because I've had it happen every time but the the worst things always deliver the best things it's, yeah if you let them do what they need to do they always give you something that you wouldn't have gotten without it and it's just fascinating to me that you've been able I mean, you really just got on like the manifestation thing. Like you just were like, oh, music. And then you like get involved with this company. I mean, it's, that is so awesome. So was Maria, so I love hearing that you had a female boss who was awesome in your twenties that inspired you. Oh my you. God, so she was brilliant. Was she before or after so the haircut? No, she was, so basically she was my direct boss, but uh, the, the guy was kind of the boss of everybody, for all of us, basically. But they had two very, very distinct uh, management styles. Um, Maria would be, she's super, super nurturing. Um, <clears throat> if, uh, if you ever went to her with a, a problem or an issue or a challenge, she would, it didn't matter how late it was, how busy she was. I mean, she would always make time for you. I mean, sometimes I, 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 I'm embarrassed about thinking how much time of her time I would have wasted, actually, because I'd be going in there going, rah, 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 this happened, this happened, this happened. And instead of telling me what to do, she could have fixed things in two minutes. But instead of telling me what to do, she would sit down and take the time with me to say, okay, what do you think are your options? And how do you think is best to fix this? Or have you thought, you know, what, what other solutions have you possibly thought about? And she would let me talk my way through things. Wow. Um, which amazing. was just so, so lovely. Really amazing. Um, whereas my male boss was um, super busy and super sharp and literally would say, don't waste my fucking time with this. <laughs> oh, this is what you got to do. Get out of my office. You know, he kind of said it in a, it was never a malicious way, but it was always like, you know what? I'm really busy and you need to just, yeah, you know, put your big boy pants on and get on with it. So I so think in the, it's the difference in, between a mentor and a boss really. Yeah. And I think I, I actually do feel very grateful and privileged that I had both those contrasts because, um, on the one hand, I definitely had to put my big boy pants on and get on with it. But on the other hand, I also understood that sometimes it, it's a lot easier to just tell people what to do, but sometimes it's actually better for, for people to, 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 to be supportive of them when they're trying to figure things out. Right. 
So That's yeah, it was, it was amazing. I mean, really amazing, amazing, amazing time, um, but really, really hard work. And again, I've never, I've had so many jobs. I've never been, um, I've never been too good to do any, you know, I've been a cleaner. I remember I was cleaning houses when I was 14. I was, you know, working as a chambermaid, uh, you know, when I was in, in Scotland uh, uh, and I was going to, to, I was studying there, I was working as a chambermaid in a hotel, but I was also working in a casino as a croupier. That's, that's my, my secret hidden talent that I'm, I'm actually a card shark. Not really, I'm the worst <laughs> player ever, but um, yeah, you know, so I've, I've done so many different things and I, no job is beneath me at all. In fact, I applied to be a fruit picker a few weeks ago when, um, you know, we first came back to England and everything's been on lockdown and there's a huge, huge shortage of um, fruit and vegetable pickers. So all the farms in the UK are literally pulping tons and tons of food, which makes me sick right. to my stomach considering the rise in food banks. I mean, that's just unacceptable. So yeah, literally starving people. people and we're throwing out food. Like really? Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, I don't, you know, you, you just, especially now, and I keep going back to, especially now we have to reevaluate really what's important. And if you're not prepared to roll your sleeves up and get your hands dirty right now, then I'm sorry, but you need to rethink what you're doing. I completely agree. And I think it takes good leadership because these farms are already stretched as far as they can go. You know, someone has to give them the resources to get the food that they are now pulping to the people who need it. So it is, so it's definitely like leadership. Can you tell us a little bit about like, when did you decide you were going to write a book? What, how was that process? Um, so I spent about 15 years working in music, loving every second, um, having the most amazing time, but also really, really awful times. Um, music is very, um, well, music is subjective. The music industry, industry was changing. Uh, you were having to work twice as hard to get a fraction of the money, etc., etc., etc. So, um, you know, you have to, nothing stays the same as we know. So you have to diversify, you have to um, look for different opportunities. And in the end, I couldn't leave the writing thing alone. I started to write on the side. I started to do a few articles, a um, couple of blogs, and my heart was just going into the whole writing vibe. And it was, and I, I've had a number of ideas and novels and stories in my head that I really wanted to put down in, on paper. And whilst I was working as a music manager, because I set up my own management company um, after I left the Ministry of Sound and I did a couple of other really great um, music jobs and I, and I got into management. So when you are managing people, if you have been honored by an artist, to entrust their career and development to you, you damn well show up every single day. You do your absolute best for your artists. This is like a hugely intense love affair. If you're not in love with your artists, don't manage them. Let somebody else <laughs> love to manage them. So yeah. you're, literally, you're committing your full life to your artists. Otherwise, get 
the hell out. You don't deserve a place at that table. Yeah. And so um, being massively in love with my artists, which I still am to this day, um, I, I couldn't do both. There was just no way. There was not enough time and not enough creative headspace to do service to both. So I decided to go and write my first novel. I was going to go and stay at my friend's place in Ibiza for six months and then just try and write it. And um, all of the artists that I was managing at the time were so utterly brilliant. And, and they all said, no, no, you know, we understand, you know, if you're, you're an artist, you've got to create, you've got to do this. So, you know, we will go into the studio, we'll go and do our own thing or, you know, we'll, we'll be here for you in six months time. So for me, um, was brilliant because I could have my cake and eat it. And, <laughs> um, and then I kind of slept in it over a couple of days and I thought, I can't do that. That's completely selfish. Not only selfish for them, but also selfish for me because first of all, I really don't know that I can write a novel. Second of all, is it going to take me three weeks, three years, six months? I don't know. And I don't want to have this invisible um, clock ticking against me because mm. I just have to be able to have the space and just, just, you know, who knows what's going to come out. So um, it was a really tough decision. Um, but I, I kind of just said, I, I can't, I can't do this. I have to, I'm going to leave you in a really good place. I'm going to leave you with, you know, new managers. I'm going to leave you with, you know, if you want to change agents or whatever. So we went through that whole process and it really is breaking up the relationship. I mean, honestly, seeing artists with new managers is literally like seeing your ex-boyfriend with a new girlfriend um and it, it, no i mean it, it, you're just like oh, i wouldn't have done that no no i would have got them better billing no you know whatever it's and then you, you know it, i quickly had to just like okay you know what stop stalking them let them be you've made your decision so there's no point in crying about it now um, but i but think that that's incredibly mature to understand that not only could you not have this invisible deadline, but that you needed the freedom from how, how committed you were to the, to them, you know, cause you, if you were still managing them, you wouldn't have been able to commit to yourself, you know? So I like that you took the, I like that. Cause I think a lot of women don't do this. I like that you like cared about your passion to write this book enough to, um, free yourself of your other commitments in order to do it. Do you know, does that make sense? Yeah, completely. And you know what? Um, I agree with you totally that women are not selfish enough. I mean, girlfriends, you've got to be more selfish. How on earth? See, this is, I don't have children. Um, I think there's many different ways to have children. I think that to a certain degree, when you're managing artists and you're fully committed to them, it's kind of like having children. Um, uh, because you know they, they 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 want everything from you, and you have to provide to a certain degree. You have to provide everything for them back. But how a woman can have a family, a happy relationship, a successful career, still have time for herself, and still be expected to look shit hot? It's impossible. And this is the thing that women have been expected to do for so long. And it's no, you know, it's it's you've got to be more selfish. And I know it's easier said than done, obviously, because I'm also not in a position. And any woman who is successful at all of those things, 
I can only take my hat off to because I am clearly not in your league. Um, there are some uh, incredible women who, who do that. I know that I, I couldn't do it successfully for sure. So, uh, well, doesn't your significant other have kids? Aren't you like, don't, aren't there kids around you right now? Yeah, no, he <laughs> does. He has these amazing, amazing, lovely children, but we don't have them all the time. Right. And, but um, being that mom is still, I don't I'm care really, if you, if you're with sorry, somebody who even has adult, you know, adult children, there is still the ability, you know, when you take on stepkids, whatever the age, even if they're adults, I do think that you have to make room in your heart, you know, and it's hard. And, um, and that, that, that is, I'm not saying it's the same as raising a kid from the, from scratch, you know, but it, it still does require making more, making the right space and giving it, giving energy to something that you could otherwise be putting elsewhere. So I do think you, you know, you, you do more than I think you let on because you are a survivor who did thrive out of, you know, the, the downs, but I, you got to give yourself more credit because I know I've known you for a little while. And I mean, you are, I take my hats off to you all the time. I'm like, how did she finish this novel? But I think you, you've inspired me because it's like, yeah, you can't just be doing it on the side. You have, like, you have to really commit to it. You know, it has to be everything you do one thing at a time, you know, with all your energy. Yeah, that's it. But uh, 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 going back to the whole financial independence thing, I knew from when I first came to England, I guess, I knew that I wasn't ever going to be hungry and I knew that I was going to make money. It didn't matter to me what job necessarily I had, I, I, I was going to end up with, but I knew that I was going to work and I was never going to rely on anybody for anything. Um, so the fact that I set myself up financially to be able to walk away from a music career and it was a successful music career. Don't get me wrong. It was, you know, I had an amazing time. I've been very blessed to have worked with some incredible, incredible, creative, intelligent musicians, um, that taught me things every single day. Um, but I was also, if I, you know, if I had been 40, and in London, and then decided to be a writer, there would have been easier ways to starve to death. But I was in a position that I could go, okay, I'm going to rent out my home in London. I didn't go to Ibiza, I ended up moving to the Dominican Republic, where you've been to, which is absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. I had no distractions, I completely cut myself off from all the distractions and temptations of London. And, um, and I just sat down and committed to it fully. Uh, and, and this is the thing, it's, it's, it's a process of, for me on a personal basis, and this, if, 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 I could, if I could say anything to anybody, male, female, young, vintage, because I don't like the, the, the word old, we, we become vintage, we don't become yeah, old. Yeah, I love vintage, that. Right? <laughs> So anybody that would ever want to listen to anything that I would say is just, just work for it you've got to work for it that makes you really appreciate everything a lot more and just be strategic um because it's it's not going to take it's not going to be an overnight thing but you've got to if you, you if you don't follow your passion if you're only half following your passion it's like only i never got the thing about dating five people at the same time if you're dating <laughs> five people at the same time 
where's your heart going to be? It's not going to be in one person, is it? You're kind of like hitching your bets, I guess. And I know that it's a very fashionable thing to do, or it's a very, not even through fashion, it's through necessity, but it's like commit because commitment to something is how things are going to work out and just be prepared to work your ass off because unless you're supremely talented, as I said, and I, I don't think that I was, uh, I had to work for it. You know, it didn't just come overnight. Um, I don't think even if you are supremely talented that you can just make something happen. I think it still requires a lot of effort to, to make it, you know, it's still going to take sweat to, to make it you know, even if you have talent, but that's what I think separates the people who make it from who don't. It's like, it doesn't really matter what your talent level is. It matters if you're willing to follow through. Yeah, that's definitely, definitely for sure. Um, and be what you, you know, you, you can't let other people tell you who you are. You know, you have to make that decision for yourself. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. Cause otherwise it's, again, it's, you have to follow what's in your heart, not because of other people's expectations for you. Yes, totally. And I like, I like that, like, I heard this quote and I've said it a couple times now, but I love this idea of like, follow what you're curious about. Because if you're curious about something and you feel like you could be forever curious about that thing, you can work in that, like you said, 18 hours a day forever. And it just is never, you know, it doesn't feel like you're working. Whereas if you follow a passion or just your heart or something fleeting, let's say that you at the moment are like very enamored with, it could kind of like fade away in a way. But if you have something where you're curious about it enough to be intrigued by it, that is a great career like path, I guess. I don't know. I love my, I think the best thing that you've said that I think a lot of young people can kind of take besides the advice that you just gave is that you said that you just had the mindset that you knew that you were never going to not make money. And like when you make a decision and you say something like that to yourself and then you do it, that's like so empowering because you're like, okay, I'm just always going to be earning you know, and that is something hard for a lot of women to say, you know, because other things do get in the way. But if, if that's like, nope, that's my priority all the time, then you will figure it out, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, um, and I guess it, it also depends on what level of, um, aspiration or standards you also give yourself. Um, I, I've worked all the way through from you know college from um pre-university from i mean i've i've never not worked actually i was getting freaked out um a couple of weeks ago because obviously we're on lockdown at the moment and i went from working with a number of clients so i'm a creative director for a company called scene so we offer uh, we basically produce mini magazines for different clients if you like it's oh, it's cool. a tech company yeah it's super super interesting we have diverse clients and um it's just super interesting um and creatively fulfilling and so i went from having a number of clients to then not having any because obviously everybody's kind of stopped and paused right now because everyone's trying to figure out what's going on and um and i was just freaking out just going oh my god i have never not worked I've never not worked. And Time for another I, novel. 
<laughs> yeah, well, I am actually doing that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, even when I was um, working in music, when I've been uh, writing, when I've, when I've gone on holiday for a number of weeks, I always had my phone with me. I've always been available. So I've never had, you know, a week off with no phone and no commitments and no nothing. <clears throat> so it, it made me feel a bit freaked out. And now I'm just like, okay, well, I'm going to make use of my time. I'm going to write another novel. Um, yeah. I'm going to, I'm actually in the process of writing a new treatment for um, uh, a documentary series. So yeah. it's still there. It's all good. It's, it's, it's all fine. And again, life changes, circumstances change. You have to, you've got to go with the flow and make the best of what you have at the time. Because I think sometimes we tend to wallow too much um, in what we don't have. And that is a massive, massive negative block in your head. As soon as you've got that in your head, it's very, very difficult to get up. Yeah, and I think people are even hard on themselves about how long they were hard on themselves. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, oh, I let that breakup or that job or that thing I didn't get last for 10 years or four years or three years. And it's like, okay, yes, but you got out of it. You know, like, don't be hard on yourself about the fact that it lasted just the next time you go through something similar. Don't let it, don't let it affect you as long, but that maybe that's how long it takes you to get through something. I don't know. So how, so I know that we're going to, we're going to have a lot of women and men listening to this who are like, you know, I think I want to write a book. And, and so how long did your first novel take when you committed yourself fully to it? Um, right. So I went to the Dominican Republic and I always thought I was going to be a really funny writer because I think I'm funny. So I thought it was going to be really hilarious and it was all going to be, <laughs> no, it's strange, funny, not funny, funny, but, um, and, and I sat down and I started to write and I found out that I was not funny at all. I'm really dark and I like, uh, thrillers and I like, you know, the whole sex, drugs and rock and roll and, um, violence and all the things that have been in my life um you know obviously from coming from a uh, the time of Pablo Escobar in Colombia um and how that affected our family the country you know the whole country was affected by it um my rock and roll lifestyle um you know I think that the, the best things that you can obviously write about are things that you either intimately you have intimate knowledge of you're really passionate about or you just really really know about so um i started to write things that are um quirky and strange and um have a, a twist in the tale actually was my first collection of short stories and i did that in three months and um i, I self-published it because um i had been to haiti and uh, did some work with a couple of orphanages there so I self-published it and um, promoted it just on Facebook actually and ended up raising about six thousand dollars that went to um, the NGOs in Haiti which was um, wow. just really thrilling. it was amazing and actually it was really good to have a goal because I once had been and I'd experienced you know the horrific conditions that they were living in um, I gave myself a goal of the uh, 10th of December because I wanted people to buy it for Christmas and um I love that yeah so it was and I didn't realize that 
that would have been really important. But then because I had a goal and I had a date and I wanted to, you know, I had already told everybody that this was happening. It was like, right, commit or quit. So I got my head down and I, and I, and I did it and I found a brilliant, brilliant editor. Um, and, uh, and it was done and it was just, it was amazing. And then I realized that I could write and I realized that all of the baggage that I had been carrying about my not wanting to be like my birth father was just, yeah, you know what? So what? Who cares? It's cathartic. It is what it is. I've obviously got some talent from him. So celebrating instead of trying to run away from it. Well, well, just to touch on that, just to touch on that really quickly, because when I was going through a really hard time after I lost my dad, my, my therapist said to me, "You should like write your story down. You've had a crazy story, and sometimes if you put it down, it can be very therapeutic. And also, yep. it if you turn it into a book or a TV show or a film or something, it all of a sudden has served a greater purpose." And then it doesn't have to be that thing that happened to you anymore. Now it actually was your book or your, you know, so it, it kind of turns into something else. And that is very therapeutic. When you go through something, you take the wisdom and you share it or you release it, you know? So I love that. I love that for you. Writing was therapeutic and it gave you a, a project and a purpose with a goal that helped people. I mean, it's like all the things. <laughs> it was gorgeous, you know, and, and you know, the thing is, is, every single person I can say this without a shadow of a doubt every single person that I've ever met in my whole life um they all have a story and every single person should write this story whether it's a short story whether it's a full novel whether it's a you know trilogy of something everyone has a story everybody's life is worth listening to and everybody's um experiences are something to be enjoyed you know even the bad experiences I just I love reading biographies. I mean, I, as I said, I love reading stuff, but opening up that, that little door into other people's lives is just something really just gorgeous. Oh, I know. I tried to write when I was in PR for a month and I actually got more done there than I have in a, than I did in two years in Florida. So I, maybe I'm overdue for one more, one more month. Yeah, you should. You, you know, know, something like, else I can thoroughly recommend if anybody's serious about writing, so in Cabaretto, which is a tiny, tiny little um, village on the north coast of the Dominican Republic. In oh, our away from beautiful, Yeah, it's beautiful community. You've been there. It's just gorgeous. And it attracts all sorts of people from all over the world. Um, yeah. It's a, just a really beautiful community. And so I joined a, the Cabaretto Writers Group. And this was... I I went with you. Yeah, this was when, um, you know, I'd come off the back of my success in London. Um, I'd just written my collection of short stories. And then I thought I was the bee's knees and all that. I really was just, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and I can, I guess as an artist or anybody that kind of puts themselves out there, you have to have a certain amount of arrogance to be able to do it in the first place. Right. But then, my arrogance is really great because it came right before a massive fall and my arrogance kicked me right in the face and I deserved it completely. I was like, mm, what is this little provincial town going to offer me now that I'm an author? And, um, and every single writer in that writers group was ama is amazing, is amazing. And they helped me 
through my first full-length novel, novel, which I absolutely love, um, and which actually was going to get read by William Morris because they really love, love, love what I was doing. Um, yeah. And yeah, right. and the thing is, this right. came yeah. from being surrounded by people that are a million times better than me. And that was the thing, when I, in business, I forgot to apply business to creativity. And this is where, um, I guess, this is why a lot of artists need to have managers. You need to apply business to creative in order to be successful. And I forgot that. I fell in love with the romance of that I could call myself a writer, poncing around the beach with like colorful <laughs> feathers and just being a complete and utter moron, quite frankly. Um, and, and I forgot that business, the, you know, the business of art, that's a business too. And when I used to, in fact, going back to my, my boss, who was a bit of a hard nut. And when I told him that I was setting up my own company and he said in his very eloquent way, if you're the most um, intelligent person there, you're fucked. And that's really <laughs> what he said. So I was like, okay then, so I'm going to work with better people than me. And I did, and that was the thing. Every single person that is in my life and I've ever worked with or anything, they're always, they've always been better than me. So when I first went and did my little Petri dish experiment of writing and I did my collection of short stories and I did them by myself, great, tick. I needed to get an editor, got a brilliant editor, tick. She absolutely made everything shine even more, even better. But then the first novel, I was hanging on every word of everybody else in the group who are brilliant writers, brilliant academics, um, just incredible women uh, and, and this incredible, incredibly talented guy, Josh. I, I think you've met him. He's, um, he's a yeah, musician and photographer and writer. I mean, you know, he's like triple threat of creative joy. So everybody around me, is so much better and they have made me a better writer um and that's another thing that i think is really important just the, the whole surround yourself with your tribe but also people that are gonna um you have to be accountable to you know you commit to writing you know two thousand words every week everybody critiques each other's work um and you're you know brutally honest about you know where 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 it's saggy where the arc is kind of going a bit haywire whatever it is that that's been a really awesome process and also just reading their work is just inspirational yes oh yes finding a right group I think is so important because also they do keep you like on track as well I think too. yes but, um yeah your writers group in cabarete is like amazing I like also that Cabarete, like when I was going there we were going to an orphanage one of the like the, the kids orphanage that's kind of near cabarete and volunteering and then I was like I I gotta stop going to this orphanage because I've already got a Dominican dog I'm gonna end up with a Dominican kid if I if I volunteer <laughs> yeah. but I will say that there's something magical about cabarete honestly if I wasn't living in Florida I'd be living there um yeah hopefully one day I'll, be, I'll, buy a place. I'll be your neighbor hopefully one of these days yes um, <laughs> yes um, you can find link, uh, a link to um, uh, some of the material that I've published on my website. Perfect. So I'll put that link in our podcast um, description. 
and um, I can't wait to read so much more from you. I love that you're working on a novel now. My collection of short stories, I'll be happy to send it to um, the Goddess Group. Um, yeah. Because um, it's out and it's done. And then my novels, my novels, I have decided to self-publish because right now is the time to apply the business model that I applied for all of my artists. It's time to apply it for myself and um, the guys yeah. in, in our Cabaret Writers Group. You know, we're supposed to be disruptors. Publishing world has been exactly the same for the last 70, 80 years. Totally. And where, so where, where, where is that going? Like, writers, writers make no money. Everybody else make money and writers don't. And it's like, no, let's disrupt this one now. Do you have like, th like a couple book recommendations um, in addition to yours that are books that you read that kind oh of like help you? I have so I know. many. Yeah. Um, okay. It's very difficult for me to choose any particular books. I'm going to give some. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna give you my top. Mm, no, it's, they're not my top three. They're three that I immediately thought of, but I have to give special mention to. Gabriel Garcia Marquez, of course, my Colombian superhero. Um, Sadie Smith, uh, Irvin Welsh, um, Maya Angelou, you mentioned her before. Yes. They have created their own genres. They have been impeccable. It, just, their writing is impeccable. It takes you away to different times, different worlds, just beautifully, beautifully, beautifully well scripted and put together. Um, Mr. Nice um, is a very classic from the 90s uh, novel by Howard Marks, who was my friend and mentor. He was um, one of the biggest um, drug dealers in the world. He used to import and export tons of marijuana around the country, around the world. And um, he, was, um, he was busted by the feds in the US. Um, and given 25 years at Terry Holt Prison in Indiana, I believe. Um, this is an incredible book of redemption um, that really highlights the brutality of the prison system. Um, Howard was out after seven years and came back to the UK and became uh, an advocate for prison reform. He stood as a member of parliament. Um, you know, he did some really incredible things with his life. Um, and uh, his intelligence, you know, he was a, he, he, he uh, went to Oxford, um, got a first in uh, two, he did two degrees, getting the first in both degrees, a hugely intelligent human being, empathetic, caring, um, conservationist, you name it, incredible. And, and, and the book is brilliant and written. So that's my first choice. Um, <laughs> and there's another book called a biography autobiography called even silence has an end which is by ingrid Betancourt. she was a colombian politician and she was uh, held captive um in the late 90s uh early 2000s by the FARC guerrilla in colombia she was held captive for six years in the jungle um her strength as a woman, as a human being, her compassion, her understanding of the plight of the Colombian people, um, 
and her forgiveness is just something again that is completely mind-blowing um she when the peace process was being negotiated in colombia um half of the country were against it they they see terrorists as terrorists and they didn't want to give them any opportunity to hold any political power whatsoever and actually ingrid betancourt um was one of the first people that was that came out publicly in favor of um the peace process and i think she she said something along the lines i'm not gonna i can't remember her exact words so she was way more eloquent than i am but she said something along the lines of my thirst for revenge is not as great as my um my willingness for peace um which is remarkable. Mm. Was, i mean there was there was a point she tried to escape three times um it's such an incredible story she tried to escape three times by throwing herself in in the darkness into the huge rivers that are they have um alligators and piranhas and massive anacondas and god knows what else and she was just so desperate to go home to her children and her family that you know she did she attempted this three times uh wow. it's just an incredible when you i mean i i i just had to keep putting the book down and breathing because <laughs> it was just so anxious it's just full of anxiety but she's she's brilliant and you know there was a after each time that she tried to escape she would be tied to a tree with a dog leash around her neck oh my god months and months and end and and the fact that she she can still forgive people is really quite remarkable um i mean she, that's the true heroics of the human spirit um another book which i really really love is um lady sings the blues which is billy holiday's autobiography as well um at a time that uh, you know she really encapsulates the brutalities of misogyny segregation racism you know this is all against the backdrop of of heroin abuse um and it's really just wow. another epic tale of survival and, and inspirational courage and again looking to other people's worlds and perspectives um just really kind of and, and history actually really opens my eyes frequently um I've, I've gosh i've read some amazing books recently as well so i could literally just sit here for about 10 days non-stop talking to you about <laughs> all the books that i love but those those are, are definite ones that stick to mind because they're also a, a kind of like action adventure but you're literally reading somebody's real life it's not a film but you can picture it in a film just thinking oh my god this is crazy yeah that's how actually how i felt about my angelo's um, mom and me and mom that book was just like so mind blowing you know and then just these little gems like throughout you're just like oh my mind is just blown like I, you know i wanted to read all of her books after that Oh um, you should if you haven't done so read um um why I know what like page bird things oh my yeah. god god that just, one you know, it's like the kind of books that you just you you're reading it and you just want to bite into it because it's just so precious it's amazing <laughs> <laughs> Yeah and it's so empowering you know you hear this and then you you read it and you're like this is why this is why people go through this like hundreds of thousands millions of people can hear one story and it can affect them in profound ways. I mean, it's just it's fascinating. Um okay, so um what last question um 
talking to all the people listening, uh, like if there was something that you wish you'd known before you started career, your career path or down your like adult life, um, or like, is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't, or, you know, just something you want to kind of say to everybody, you know, that's kind of your ethos and, and just whatever, whatever you kind of, your parting message might be. Um, well, I just wanted to say thank you so much for having me. Um, oh. on, so um, I just want to say thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure to just be able to talk to you about all the passions. And uh, I've got a huge smile on my face now because you've just reminded me of all the brilliant things that I've been able to do with my life and how blessed and grateful I am for all the opportunities and people that I've met along the way. Um, yes. I wish, what do I wish that I have learned? Um, I think that the problems that you create in your head are oftentimes way greater than the actual problems in your real life. Mm. It, it's always going to be okay. Um, I think that I, um, I wish that I had, I, I, I think I spent too much time doing what I thought, um, what other people thought that I should be doing other than the things that I really, really wanted to do. And I think it's quite, um, for, for, for women, sometimes we make decisions based on other people's opinions of us. Uh, we're sometimes not brave enough to go, do you know what? I really don't care about this. This is what I'm going to do. And this is what I'm going to say. And this is how I'm going to dress. And this is what I'm going to be. Um, and, I, and I wish that I had that bit more confidence especially when i was younger to just actually really follow what i wanted to be as opposed to the caricature that sometimes women are expected to be um and that that that's it i guess i i, I guess um mm -hmm. the one thing that i've always been grateful for as well is that people that i've worked with have always shown me and supported me in any way that um, when we've always done something for other people, um, that's mm. always been part of our business. That's always been part of our strategy, um, and long it may continue. So I think right now it's really the time to be more, really, really more empathetic and caring to to each other. Because um, you know we are all going through this in whichever different mm. ways. We're all going through this. Definitely, yes. That is. So you have so many good like little gems you're like such my big c star you've always been like <laughs> you've always been like having a big sister um that i just aspire to be more like so thank you so much for your time and thank you for you know creating a business and a career path that other women can look up to and i do think like we we are the change we have to be the change and you're somebody who is the change and and someone who chases their dreams you know unapologetically and I, I love that about you and and just thank you so much you're I hope you have like a great rest of your quarantine and I hope that we get to see each other again like soon and that we will never let it go another two and a half three years without seeing each other <laughs> no I know thank you so much darling and thank you to everybody who's taken the time to listen in and I hope that um you're all keeping safe and healthy and um and I'm giving yourself a bit of love because I think now's the time that we can do that.
nothing in this podcast is a recommendation. Hey, all you sea stars, goddesses, naiads, and Neptunes, aka the paradisiacs who care about the important stuff. I hope you all found some inspiration today, and I hope to have your beautiful souls back for our next episode. This podcast supports a beautiful group of humans who gather on full moons, and to find a link for Howl and Heal, and for our website with these episodes, details, and blog, head to themelroseshow.com. You can also connect with me on IG at Melrose Wild or at the Melrose Podcast. Again, this is Melrose. I hope after you listen to this conversation, you feel some magic brewing in your own destiny. Thank you for listening and please subscribe or follow us to get updates on new episodes. And if you love this podcast, the best compliment is to rate us with five stars and maybe leave a little love note about how this podcast might be helping you. Have a wonderful day and may the forces of wholeness and growth be with you all. He's been through a couple of relationships and he's not like, because he was married for 20 years, he doesn't know how to like be a player. You know, he's like totally got dad jokes and he's like, he's just a sweetheart. And then when he thinks something, he says it, he doesn't like hold back. So he's just like, really genuine, really sweet. And honestly, like, I have to kind of remind myself that these are all the things I asked for, because when he is being so sweet and tender with me, I'm like, my natural reaction, because of I'm just living in New York and London and all these cities where these guys manipulate you and treat you like, you know, you're totally replaceable. The immediate reaction is like, what is this? I don't deserve this, or this isn't real, you know? So it's been very interesting to see how my psyche is handling getting everything I've actually asked for. <laughs> that, I know. Do you know what? That is so, that is very, very lovely. Um, because I think as women, we have been so conditioned by where we live and who we hang out with and all of those things. Just, we've been conditioned to expect the worst because guys have really been snaky. Um, mm, so when yeah. a good one comes along, you're, you're, you your soul doesn't know what to do with them. Yeah. We're and not we're... gracious receivers of goodness. <laughs> well, I'm getting better at it. I guess that's what happens in your mid to late thirties. But tell me what's going on with you. Oh my gosh. It's been so long. I miss you. I love that we can just get on the phone and it's like no time has passed. That's, you know, exactly. True. But that's what happens with real girlfriends. Do you know what I mean? It's like, no. Oh my God. And guess it, what happened? And this happened next. And, da, 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 da. and it's like, we're just there having coffee together all over again. <laughs>